From the Los Angeles Times, this is Can't Stop Watching, your TV faves on their TV faves. I'm your host, Yvonne Villarreal. On today's episode, we can't stop watching Julia Garner. She plays Ruth Langmore on the Netflix series Ozark. During our conversation, she tells us how she's been spending her time at home, and she gives us her best guess on how she thinks her foul-mouthed character would handle the coronavirus. Even though she has a potty mouth and she's sometimes her character is questionable, the thing that I love about her is how hopeful she is. Julia also talks about all the different accents she's had to master during her acting career and how she acquaints herself with her characters, all while her bulldog is napping under her chair. So let's get to it. Hi, Julia. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm looking at you over Skype, and I just want to let our listeners know she has the best wallpaper. It sort of has like an Ozark type of feeling. You know, a combination of like Ozark and the Beverly Hills Hotel a little bit, right? It's very nice. I have to let you know that before I started this interview, I was watching a little bit of Too Hot to Handle. Oh, wow. And I need, to, I need to know, what are you watching during this time? Well, it depends on what kind of day I'm having. So again, I feel like you can have a full, I call them Corona days. <laughs> Sounds terrible. But like, you know, some days you're totally fine and you're super productive. And then some days you get, sorry, that's my bulldog snoring. You get, <laughs> sorry, he's under here. Some days you just get really depressed and like you don't end up doing anything. So I was watching, obviously, Tiger King, and I was watching Love is Blind, which is so addicting. And, you know, I watched recent, I watched the last, because I didn't have a chance to see it, the last season of, season two of Succession. I mean, I've been, sorry, my bulldog, can I just, like, get up and just, he's just snoring so loud. Sorry. Fizz, come here. Okay. Sorry about that. He snores so loud. (laughs) It's good color. Yeah. You know, I I watch a whole combination of things. I watch really great TV like Succession and The Crown and like all those shows. But then I will watch 90 Day Fiance or something. I don't know. Just it depends on what day it is. I mean, I feel that. Like, are you still watching Real Housewives? For sure. But I've been watching Real Housewives since season one. New York and Beverly Hills is the best. And then, you know, Orange County, you still, I still watch it because it's the, the originals, the OG. Thoughts on Sutton? I don't know. I think she was too, <laughs> this is like, we're like supposed to talk about Ozark, but I think she was too harsh on Teddy. But she does add a little drama to it. I always like a, a really messy dinner party where everyone's dressing like super extra and someone's going to cry at the end. I mean, it sounds terrible, but it's also just really funny. <laughs> It's so good. Well, I'm curious, did you watch much TV growing up? I watched a lot of TV growing up. I mean, I grew up watching the Turner Classic Movie Station, you know, but I feel like the reason why I will watch, like, great TV like Succession, but then I'll watch, like, you know, like, The Real House. Like, I like watching everything because in a weird way, it's like you're studying people from all over. So, I don't know. I guess that's the New York in me. Every show has its characters. You know, there's all this talk right now about how production will change when people start going back to work, how storytelling will change. What have you been thinking about in this time where 
our thoughts are just going a mile a minute and you can't help but think about some of these things. I know I'm thinking about how work will be different for me. I feel like it will change in ways that we don't even know because, you know, think about something like September 11th where everything changed after that. I remember, I was very young when that happened, but I remember the whole city changed. Are you thinking about what will make you comfortable on set? Having your temperature taken or like having all these hand-washing stations? I mean, I think, you know, I feel like it's weird. Even though like makeup and hair, they're the ones who are touching you the most. They're the cleanest ones on set in terms of like crew. So I'm never really worried. And they wash their hands all the time. So I'm not worried about that. But yeah, I think I think it's more like crew people that are not around sinks all day, like hair and makeup people. They're kind of around sinks in their trailers. So it's going to be interesting. I think people saying that they're going to shoot, there's a possibility of shooting like in the fall. That's pushing it. I have people mic me. I have people touch me and my skin and my hair all day. People are in close spaces, depending what scene you're shooting. There might be five people in a car with a camera. Like, it's, it's very sad. How have you been using this downtime in terms of your craft? Like, are you enjoying sort of having this break or are you thinking about the characters in this time and and how you can develop them or think about them in this time before you start production again? I was in the middle of doing a production. I was shooting Anna Delvey. It was supposed to be a 10-month production. We had five months down. And then going straight from Ozark to that. And then before Ozark, I was with, I kept on going straight from project to project to project. So I'm okay with having a little bit of a rest because <laughs> I felt like I was going to be burned out a little bit. But I've been checking in on my accent from time to time so I won't forget it. I've been keeping busy. I mean, I'm never in my home for longer than two weeks. So I was decluttering and I had a, a suitcase from when I was shooting Dirty John. That was like two years ago. So that's how busy I've been. I was like, oh, I forgot about this top. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I I was just like, okay, that's just what it is. It's fine. I'm just decluttering for the next how many months? (laughs) Well, and for our listeners that don't know, you're, as you mentioned, you're playing Anna Delvey, the scammer um, that's at the center of this new Shonda Rhimes Netflix show called Inventing Anna, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, it was, you know, the thing that gives me anxiety, if I'm really being honest, is I don't think I'm going to go back to work earlier than 2021. Being really honest, that is like, I mean, playing a character that in the middle, stopping in the middle and then coming back after how long? I mean, it's and it's a very hard part. Her and Ruth are like the hardest parts. Let's talk about season three of Ozark. I mean, Ruth is involved in some intense and emotionally heavy scenes this season. What was the toughest thing you had to shoot? The whole thing is kind of difficult because you have to be consistent with the character, but that's that's in general. But the hardest scene, it was giving me the most anxiety, was the scene where I went head-to-head with Wendy, and it was the, excuse my language, it was the bitch-wolf scene. That was very scary. And also the fact that, like, okay, so we shot that scene on a Tuesday morning. I had to get up at, like, 4.45 in the morning and the Emmys were on a Sunday. So, oh my God. Yeah, I had like my biggest scene of season three, but like the night before I had the Emmys. So I was just like, well, it's all downhill from here. 
really what was preoccupying my mind the night of the Emmys was my scene for Tuesday. And then the scene where I'm also on the hospital bed. I don't want to give away for people who didn't see it, but I ask Marty and Wendy to do me a favor and they decline. They don't do it. That was a hard scene too. And and also the scene with with Wyatt, I think that also was another scene that I was it was building up where I knock at Darlene's door and I want to speak to Wyatt and I see him for the first time. That was a really sweet scene. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you work alongside like Jason Bateman, Laura Linney, Janet McTeer. What have you learned as an actor from observing them? Like, is there something they each do, an approach they have, a method they have that you've picked up on during this time? Yeah, I think the thing that those actors in a way taught me is, you know, just from watching. I mean, Laura gives amazing advice. And so does Jason and Janet. They all do all the time. They don't even notice that they're giving advice. They're just like, you know, those people who just, they're just saying something. You're like, oh my God. And they just don't notice how brilliant they are, which is even more why they're so brilliant. But it's just the amount of control that they have when they're doing a scene. I feel like great acting, even though they say completely lose control, completely lose control in the scene. Yes, but great acting is a contradiction. One hand, you want to completely, you want to be so lost in the moment that you don't notice anything. But you want to control the scene, meaning you want to control yourself. You want to know exactly what you're doing in a way. You don't want to just wing it. They don't wing it. Everything, every scene is thought out. Was there a certain point in the process where you felt like playing Ruth really clicked into place for you? I had an obsession with Ruth the moment I saw the mock sides for the audition. And I don't get obsession with characters and parts. I'm very good at, like, if I had to audition for something, I'm very good at, like, you know what? One bus comes, one bus goes kind of thing. It's like, that's the business that we're in. But I remember I kept on thinking, I was like, I have to get this part. I will have a hard time watching the show, seeing somebody else do this part. And I never think like that. So I remember thinking that I had to get this part. I just, there was something I under, I understood her for some reason, even though she was, she's so different than me. And you had that accent from the start, right? In the audition. Were you nervous? Because I remember, I think I heard you saying like that you heard the other girls and they were not doing an accent. <laughs> so this is what they don't tell you. Like actor, like this is like where it's like, oh, it's so glamorous. It's not glamorous at all. This is like, this is the, the reality of being an actor, especially New York City casting office. <laughs> you know, so I went to the audition. I prepared my lines with the accent. So I memorized my lines with the accent. I did a movie the year before with an accent. So I, I had the Missouri accent down. I went to the audition. There were like 15 other girls in like a small waiting room that was like the size of like kind of a biggish closet. It was so small and paper thin walls. This is like very New York casting office. And every single girl that went in the room that were, was saying the lines that I was going to say in like 15 minutes, five minutes or whatever. None of them had an accent. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, I'm going to look like that actor that's like, <laughs> that's like, you know, those actors that are just like, I'm in theater, I'm an actor. Like those over the top actors that overact. I'm going to look like that actor that's just like, oh, that annoying 
actress. Ew. Did you think about not doing it? I just was like, you know what? Let me try saying the lines with no accent. Like, and I tried to say, I was like, and I couldn't remember the lines without an accent. I only remembered it with an accent. So then I went in, of course, it was with a casting associate. I did it once. And he was like, thank you. And I, was, <laughs> I left the audition. <laughs> I did it once, like did not sound excited, this guy at all. And I called my mom. I was like, well, I'm going to forget about this. I'm not going to hear from this project. It's like not happening. She's like, how many, my mom has an Israeli accent. She's like, how many times did you do it? I said, I did it once. And that was it. So I, and then a week later, I got a call back and you know, it, it worked out for me. I, I thought it was, there was no chance. <laughs> well, on top of the accent, what makes it so potent is the potty mouth that goes with the accent. And I'm curious, you know, I was talking to Liz Feldman, who's the creator of Dead to Me. And on her show, there's a character, Jen, played by Christina Applegate, that also has a potty mouth. It's how she sort of expresses her anger and frustration, and she's unapologetic about it. And I'm curious, is it empowering for you to have that in that character to the way she sort of expresses herself? I think what's powerful about the Ruth isn't so much the potty mouth, it's more her delivery. Ruth has two tones with her speaking, which is you know, either she talks really, really, really fast and does it like this, or she talks really, really slow. There's never like in the middle with her. She's never like talking like this. You know what I mean? She's always either talking like this or she's going to talk like this. So it's, it's, it's those two. And I think that's kind of powerful because both those extremes kind of, there's a sense of ownership with her words. And it's just when, when dialogue is good, I mean, Chris Mundy is so brilliant and all the writers in the writer's room are so brilliant that when dialogue is good, you just want to use every single word that's on the page. And it's just, it's, it's also, when dialogue's good, it's easy to memorize too. I always know when writing's good when I have an easy time memorizing it. Are you ever just throwing some of these phrases around in your everyday life? Because some of the zingers are so good. Are you just saying them in your everyday life ever? I don't know how my husband would react if I was like, bitch wolf. <laughs> like, I mean, it would, I mean, he, there's been times where I like, will rant, like, I'll say something like Ruth and he's like, oh my God, that's so weird. Or I'll say something like, I'm not relevant and it's like really weird because he's been coming on set. So it's just, it's, it's weird. It's, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That's what you get for marrying an actress, I guess. Well, I was sort of curious what phrase might Ruth say during this time that we're living in right now? Like, what are some of the things she would be thinking? How do you think she would be living during God, this time? I can't imagine Ruth going to the grocery store and, like, wearing gloves and a mask. I mean, it's just really funny <laughs> with her ponytail. She would probably say, like, what the fuck is this apocalyptic shit? Like, she would say something like that, I think. I think I've said that myself. (laughs) (laughs) You've talked before about how you write a journal for every character that you play. And you write as the character. And I'm sort of curious, like, what did some of the entries for season three look like for Ruth? Well, so basically how it works, I write a journal and I always start it, opening it with, you know, I read what happened in season two before I write for season three, or I read what happened in season one before I write for season two. And then I can kind of intertwine it with that. I guess what I wrote for season three in the beginning 
was that I was talking in the journal, I was talking about my dad, but I wasn't really acknowledging that he passed. I was trying to convince myself that there was a good reason that he passed, but I knew it was kind of, but then I was like going back and forth, whether it was wrong. The thing that was the most for season three was the fact that how alone she was, that she, Ruth doesn't, did not have anyone this year. I mean, she basically, it sounds terrible, but she killed all her family. I mean, her uncles and then her dad passes away because of her association with the birds. And then her best friend, Wyatt, he goes away. He, he, he's done with her. So, and then, you know, three is done. So she's basically by herself. And it used to be so crowded, the Langmore trailer. If you see season one, now season three, it's completely empty. And I think that's why she is really clinging on the birds because she's trying so, she's trying to convince herself that what she did is right and that she's making the right decision with being with the birds. Like, I'll get something out of this. They'll help me, you know, after she asks for that favorite and they don't do it, she knows that they don't have her back. And I also think that's why she clings on to Ben too, because Wyatt is not there anymore. Her family's not there. So she, Ruth will never admit it, but she needs to feel loved unconditionally because she got that from Wyatt and she doesn't have that anymore. Right. As you mentioned, you get a love interest this season, which is Wendy's brother, Ben, played by Tom Pelfrey. How was it sort of finding your way into that vulnerability, like that they both have for each other? And what did seeing that side of her do for you? For me, the thing that was the most challenging with season three was because of the love interest. One hand, it was it was a great transition and a new light on Ruth. But the other hand, the thing that I was really scared because it's such a sensitive side and vulnerable side of Ruth. You know, you want to make with TV, you want to make a character consistent, but not repetitive. You don't want a repetitive thing. You want a consistency. I knew that it wasn't going to be repetitive, but I was afraid that it wasn't going to be consistent. And I I was afraid that, oh my God, what if people are going to completely see that, you know, she's completely changed because she has a guy in her life. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I wanted to make sure that in the beginning of that relationship, there was such a wall. And then finally that wall broke down and he kind of cracked that wall. And, you know, Tom and I, we felt very comfortable with each other and it was, he's great. And everything played out to be great, you know. And Alexa Fogel is such a great casting. She puts such an amazing cast together. You know, Agent Maya is also great. All these, all these new people this season were great. Well, I mean... You often hear from actors about like how they think about the backstory of their characters in terms of, you know, shaping how they perform. And Ruth is still young. I'm curious, like, do you think about what her life could be ever? It's interesting because it's like I know this person so well and because half of the year I am her. So I think of her like a person. I don't all my characters, I think of them like people. It's like what you think about yourself. Like you think what your life could be, but you don't know where it will end up in a way. So I think she's, I think of her as the same. Like I think what it could be, but I don't know where it's going to end up depending on how things pan out in my or Ruth's life in, in a way, you know? Do you think she thinks she's trapped in this world forever? That's the thing that attracted me to Ruth the most with this character was how hopeful she was. And even though she has a potty mouth 
and she's sometimes her character is questionable. The thing that I love about her is how hopeful she is. Like if something terrible happens the night before, she will go get up back to work, get up in the morning, doesn't matter how beaten down she is, she will get up and she will have hope that today will be a better day and she'll go back to work. She's never just stuck in bed, which I love. I love that about her. Well, in your new film, The Assistant, you play a young assistant to a powerful executive at a film production company. Your character is forced to navigate this toxic work environment. How was that transition to sort of go from playing someone like Ruth, who will knock you out with her words, to someone like Jane, who is expected to be sort of passive as this abuse of power is going on and she's trying to do something about it, but is expected to stay quiet? Well, that's one of the reasons why I did it. I'm such a fan of Kitty Green. I think she's so talented. I really loved her film casting Jean Bonnet. And I wouldn't just do The Assistant with anybody. You know, I saw that Kitty is a very smart filmmaker and she was going to do it in a very tasteful way. Um, so that was one. And it's a quiet movie. That, that's challenging. It's hard doing Ruth with all this dialogue with this accent, but in a completely different way. It's like everything's on the face. The audience have to feel everything that Jane's feeling, really. But I also just liked how realistic it is because, you know, somebody that's that powerful and still working is realistically, they have to be passive. When I think about it, she wasn't that passive. I mean, she did go to HR and people thought she was crazy. So, and she could have gotten fired. And if she got fired, you know, her boss could have called five other production companies and said something terrible. Don't hire this girl. So that's what what is so sad about it, because it's not just assistants in production companies. Think about how many assistants get abused, even if it's not sexual abuse, abused so many people in workplaces, you know? Well, you mentioned earlier your PhD in accents. And I... (laughs) Some of your recent roles have really demonstrated how the way a character sounds is just as important as what they're saying or what they're doing. You know, Ruth has a distinctive voice. Your character Tara in Dirty John has a distinctive voice. And Anna is going to have a distinctive voice. Anna has the toughest one. Tell me why. Because Anna's accent is a combination of its German but then it has the Russian elements and just the general European. And then you have a European person moving to America, kind of getting Americanized in a way. So when she comes back to Europe, it's probably like, oh, you sound really American. Or when she comes here, she's like, oh, you sound really European. It's like, um, it's really weird because like I have to uh, do, but I actually, I told her, I'm just giving you a little sneak peek, but um, I... <laughs> Yeah, I I told her that, you know, I met up with her and I was like, you have a very difficult accent. You should know that. She's like, what's you doing with it? I was like, what do you mean? She's like, how are you playing me? (laughs) And I was like, uh, and then I started, it got really meta. Then I started talking like her to her face. We were both laughing at it. So did you record her voice so you could like play it back and listen to it over and over? I had footage of interviews with Anna that were just from basically that they sent to me that are not in the on the internet or anything so you know that's how she sounds and she's really interesting and I'm not like I'm saying like from somebody who met her she's she's very smart too 
She's like, you know, she's gifted with languages. She speaks, I think, like seven or something. Like she's very, she's like a photographic member. She's very smart. See, I would have just like gone with like modeling my accent after Dorit from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. If I heard all of that, like that's what I would have done. Because I'm like, I wouldn't even know what to do. No, no, she's not going to be like, Jagga. No, no, she's not going to be like Dorit from Real Housewives. But yes. I mean, I was having such a good time with her, with this, playing this part. It's going to be really interesting because I also just look different. Everything's different about this character. You know, I've never played anything like it. Can you still call up Tara from Dirty John? Uh, Tara's very sweet, by the way, because I really like her. Um, So I guess Dirty John is, Um, (laughs) I guess Dirty John, I mean, it's really, I feel like that's very of, um, like an West Coast accent in a way, you know, it's very West Coast. And then you have an East Coast accent. I mean, this is, I've never done a part like this, but then you have an East Coast accent, which is kind of similar to that West Coasty, which the East Coast version of that is like, you know, those girls who kind of talk like, like, I went to Columbia and I studied like, you know, for, I go to for fashion and, you know, they talk like this. I just want our listeners to know that like, I am suppressing my laughter because I don't want to ruin your audio because I want the accents to keep coming. Well, how is it to finding the voices without making it become a caricature? Because that's a fine line. Yes, it is a fine line, but you have to make sure that you have detail for everything. The characteristics are made up, I guess, like, you know, the accent and the way somebody walks or maybe somebody does something with their hair. You know, every character has the different characteristics. But the thing that makes it not caricature in a way is that I think of them like people all the emotion is real. So all of, all the emotion that you're seeing on screen, those tears or that laughter, like I'm laughing, I am crying, but I'm just crying in character. It's my emotions mixed with their characteristics. Okay, tell me if this is true, that you watch your performances, like you watch yourself? No, I watch myself. Um, I, you know, Nicole Kidman doesn't watch herself, I think. I don't, I don't know at all. And then, you know, I, I read somewhere that Leonardo DiCaprio watches every take that he did. And, you know, Jason watches himself too. I had for a long time, I still have a hard time watching myself. I cover half of my face when I do, but I keep like one little eye open kind of. When it's finished, I watch all the episodes because, you know, you can learn a lot. And then sometimes if I really want to be objective, if it's good, I watch it once with sound and then I watch it again with no sound. I mute the TV. So to see if everything is translating. So I just double check if the performance is good. So you don't have to, but I feel like it's good to learn how to watch yourself So then you can be objective and not just in terms of things that you don't like about your performance, but things that you do like about your performance and then you can keep for later. No, I think that's smart. I mean, I've always had a hard time. And for this podcast, I have to listen back to some of the stuff and it does help you sort of take in like what you like and what you don't like and how to improve. So I think it's great. For me, it's much harder to hear myself than to look at myself. I mean, I'm sure you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) You sound great. Before we wrap things up, I have one final question for you, and it comes from our previous guest. 
Betty Gilpin, who plays wrestler slash businesswoman Debbie on Glow. And she's got a good question for you. Here's what she wants to know. Oh, I just think she's the future. I, I just, okay, what do I want to ask her? What is your dream role look like for when you are 60 years old? Because right now I feel like she is in this insane pocket of being such an incredible actor and so gorgeously like a Disney princess in a teacup. She's so beautiful. And I just think like it's almost a distraction from how fucking good she is. Excuse my language. (laughs) So I just think like, her best work is she's just going to work forever and ever. She's amazing. I I love her. I really want to do something with her. I don't know what my dream role is. That's so, it's very interesting. It's like, I, I, I feel like everything depends on the last thing that I played. So if I'm 60, what was the last thing that I played the year before? You know? So I, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, hopefully in the future to act with Betty, I mean, love her. So that would be amazing. So our next guest will be Jane Levy from Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. What question do you have that we can ask her? I have a question. Was she scared to do all those dancing and singing? Like, how was the memorization and the preparation? Because she was not only memorizing her lines and going over her acting, but also having to, like, memorize steps and lyrics. And how was that? I wonder if there'll ever be a musical episode of Ozark. That'll be the day. I Yeah, and Ruth will have a wrap. I love it. Well, Julia, thank you so much for taking the time with us. Thank you. That's it for the seventh episode of Can't Stop Watching. I'm your host, Yvonne Villarreal. Our producer is Paige Heimson, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin. And as always, a special shout out to Elena Howe, who booked the guest for this podcast. Come back tomorrow. We're talking to actress Jane Levy. And so expressing through song while also feeling so highly emotional that you can't breathe was a brand new experience for me. If you like Can't Stop Watching, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Matt Brennan, and Clint Schaff. We hope you're enjoying this podcast created by the journalists at the LA Times. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Thanks for listening, and see you tomorrow.